0: Thank you to our partners, SalesLoft, LeadIQ, and Costello for helping us put this one on. Find all our upcoming events at jbarrows.com events. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrow. Is make it happen Mondays. Hopefully, you all had a fantastic weekend. I have a pretty interesting duo of guests here. I actually rarely do dual interviews, so this one should be interesting. Um, uh, it's the team over at Looker, who's actually been through a very interesting uh, uh, growth spur recently and being acquired by Google. So I'd like to introduce Raphael and Talal. Uh, how you guys, how you guys doing today?
1: Doing well, thanks. Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, so do you want to give kind of each one of you a little quick little uh, background on what your role is, uh, how you've been, you know, what you're doing these days and how long you've been with Looker?
2: Yeah, sure thing. So I'll go first. Um, so yeah, my name is Raphael. I go by Rafa. Uh, I've been with Looker for just under six years now. So started on the West Coast in our Santa Cruz office or um, a couple dozen folks as like SMB uh, sales rep. And then was out there for a year. Moved out at the beginning of 2015 to New York to help us grow the sales, uh, you know, org out here. And since then, there's just been tons of crazy growth. Um, I'm now leading a team of four managers and 31 reps covering our SMB and mid market teams.
1: Nice, very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, my name's Talal. I, I uh, joined Looker shortly after Rafa, actually, about you know a few months after. So I've been here about five and a half years now. Um, I, I joined as kind of our first boots on the ground out here in the East Coast, uh, for Looker, uh, you know, started off kind of just being our, you know, technical customer facing, you know, person in, the, in New York, jumping, taking on uh, a few different, uh, roles. And then, yeah, I've just been helping to grow the team out here ever since. Uh, I, I run our sales engineering group, uh, for the East Coast, um, which is about, you know, group of about 25 people, also four managers. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's interesting because
1: I, you know, I think we could take this conversation a lot of different directions, but
0: I always, you know, with startups and growth and all that stuff, I, I always found it and I don't know if you guys are there yet. That once you kind of figure out where you fit and like what you like to do, it's almost it's a very liberating thing in the sense that you know I'll give you an example. Like I'm kind of a I'm not a startup startup guy. I'm not the guy that like drops everything, lives on my parents' couch, and eats ramen noodles and takes a whole huge risk. Like I'm the second guy, right? Like you start the company, get some traction, bring me in. I'm gonna throw fire on this thing. But then once it gets to a certain stage where it's too process oriented and that type of stuff, I kind of lose interest, right? I mean, so, cause when I first got acquired, like when my first company got acquired I and mean, when we got to 10 million, I was kind of bored. Like it was seven years. I built this company and I was, I was kind of going through the motions cause I had figured it out. You know what I mean? And then this whole acquisition of Staples was like, Ooh, this is cool. Like this is, but what happened was I thought I was the right guy. Cause I thought it was the, the like something interesting for me to learn new, but I didn't realize that I wasn't the right guy. And so I fought it. And they were the, the ones who ended up firing me because I just didn't fit in that new world, right? And now kind of knowing where I fit, and I know a lot of people who have been in business for 15, 20 years, they, especially in the startup space, it's almost like they go, you know, they look for the company at a certain stage. So where on this journey that you guys have been on right now, like, I mean, for the past six years or so, where's your sweet spot? I want to ask that. Like, have you, have you kind
2: of figured out where your sweet spot is? Probably circa 2016 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it depends on where you define it. Like where we we having the most fun or?
0: Yeah. yeah. And what, yeah. And like, kind of like the growth stage, right. That, that you were like, I, this is my thing. Like I, 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 rock it in this spot and yeah, we're having fun doing it obviously. Right.
2: I mean, there's always like the thing about working for a small startup with less people. You personally know so many people, you're scrap. you're building things together there's just nothing that beats that. It's so fun. It's really stressful and crazy, especially when yeah. you're like us, like we had plenty of nights. Where we we're bouncing our heads off the wall, but something super fun. I think both of us excelled and we're psyched on that. Um, although we're, we're having a lot of fun these days too. It's just new yeah. and different and we're learning different things. Mm-hmm.
1: But I don't know Tal, what you say? Yeah. It's I, I, you know, so that, I mean, there was nothing like kind of like early days I was working out of my apartment, you know, yeah. jumping around the city, like where whatever needed to be done was doing it. Like that was, that was a ton of fun. Um, you know, through the years, I keep waiting for that that period where I'm like, "All right, you know, when it gets to this size, I'm gonna get bored." And and it's gonna st-. and it just hasn't happened yet. It's just like yeah. every new stage for us, and because it's been such high growth, yeah, insane velocity of growth. Every year has has presented itself mm-hmm. like with these completely new challenges. And so I, I say this in like every interview I did is you know I've been here at Looker for five and a half years and. I haven't been bored for a single day. I keep waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And I think that, see it, that I think that's the
0: key. There is not getting bored. Like there are some people, and I, you know, this took a little while for me to figure out because we went from zero to twenty. And like when we were zero to twenty, everybody was all in, right? People were all in, working hours, crazy stuff, whatever. Thirty people, forty people, everybody was still super passionate. And we kind of hit fifty people, and I, and I remember very distinctly at around fifty people, I was just like, I was frustrated because a lot of the people that we were bringing on board just did not have the same passion for the business that we did, mm-hmm. and I. I remember being frustrated with that, but it was the wrong frustration because, and, and I vividly remember like Jack Welsh, he was here in Boston. Um, this was back, you know, 20 years ago. And I, and he talks a lot about passion and that. and I asked, I was at a seminar and I said, Hey, you talk a lot about passion. You know, we were super passionate when we got to about 50 people. And then all of a sudden it's like that 51st person we hired just didn't have the same passion that we did. And I asked him, I said, how do you instill your passion on somebody else? And in front of a thousand people. He's basically called me a fucking idiot. And, uh, and he goes, he goes, you can't, he goes, you can't, you can't instill your passion on somebody else. You have to hire passion. Yeah. So get, yeah. Two questions for you. One is because the other, because, because that got me to realize it's okay to have B players. Like there are certain players that fit in that they just do their job. And if you get to a certain point, you have to kind of accept that. Because if you had all A players, the place would explode, right? So, so how have you guys been able to, or how have you seen the culture evolve? And how have you been, been able to maintain that? I'm not bored. This is still fun.
2: I mean, you sure. would both love to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, to the all's point, it's a testament to, to your point, John. Our hiring, uh, like you know, uh, style and how how um, you know detailed we are about it and the bar we set, yep. uh, reflected in the fact that we've both been here for almost six years and are still really psyched. You know, yep. I, it's hard for us to say where the sweet spot is because it's it's different every year. But we stay engaged, and I think because we keep learning and we're still in a culture where we're challenged hard. We're learning a lot from our mentors and leaders in here. And we're able to also have a say in like continuing that, that hiring process yeah. of,
1: of adding to that culture. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, it, it, it's probably the, the most important piece of all, like mm-hmm. the, what we've learned through the years is, I mean, and, and it's, a two, it's the two things we emphasize. This is the two things that are the deal breakers for us in an interview with, with someone that we want to bring in Is we look for passion and we look for collaboration and the, and the, and the you know, desire to come mm-hmm. in and want to learn from other people around them so, you know i can teach someone how to write SQL or a new programming language i can teach someone the industry yeah. i can't teach someone to give a shit about their job yeah so can i ask how do you figure that out in an interview right because
0: I can pretend I'm all, you know what I mean? Like, I can be like, yeah, I can't wait. I'm fired up. And then I show up and I'm a complete fucking dud. So uh, what are some of the things that you do in the interview process to really help understand what somebody's drive, because how, how drive is... I will tell you, like, that's the one thing I'm I'm most concerned with these days. Okay, which is, you know, millennials get a lot of shit for a lot of things that I don't think they deserve shit for. But the one thing that I am nervous about right now is the work ethic component of what's happening. Because because and and I just look at it very tactically on my end. I train usually when I do on-site training. I mean, you guys seen 8 30 to 4 30, right? And so 4.30 comes usually some Q and a people want to ask me some questions and then five o'clock. And then I'll usually light up my laptop, check a few emails before I head to the airport. When I leave the office these days, almost any office I go into by 5.30, it's a fucking ghost town. And I'm just like, how do you, I mean, and, and look, I'm not, you know, don't get me wrong here. If you get all your shit done during the day, that's good for you, whatever. But I just am nervous right now that that work ethic and that drive and that passion isn't there. So but I'm not hiring as much as you are. So A, are you guys seeing the same thing? And B, how do you identify it throughout the interview process?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it does definitely varies from person to person, especially as you grow like a bigger and bigger team. You can't always have those people that are just right. until eight, you know, unless you're just whipping them into doing that and then they hate you. and they're not-
0: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't
2: work. But like I found in interviews, you know, you can't directly ask these questions to get the answer you want. It always has to be. I mean, one thing that I love doing and, and I still do to these days is, start off by saying, Hey, you know, these, these interviews often run to the end and I'm usually going to ask all the questions. I want to give you the opportunity up front to just ask any questions you had for me. Mm. It's really telling what they'll ask you because Mm. if they're genuinely curious about the product or the industry or the space or what they're going to be doing or how they're going to add value or what risks do I love hearing like, Hey, why do reps lose deals? Like what are your competitors and why, like how do you get around them? I'm really curious. So it's really interesting. What's the value. That's really interesting. uh, You know, and will lead me to believe they're, they're really, they actually will be passionate. They're curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you know, you don't want to hear just a really like, like an, anthem, you know, something, yes. Oh, well, what's the vacation policy or, Oh, you know, how many reps are hitting quota? And then they don't have any
1: other question for you. It's like, okay, yeah. you just want to slot in somewhere, and make some money. Um, tell them if you have some that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've got to kind of like a little check like that too. We're kind of looking for the subtleties in the way they're talking about certain things. But we also, we have a dedicated interview actually in our process specifically to suss out. You know, passion, and, and what we have them do is we basically ask them to teach us about something that they're passionate about. Love it. That's yeah. an impossible thing to fake, right? You have to be knowledgeable about it, and you, it just comes off in the way you're talking about it, and you're super excited. And I do I mean, we had a guy teach us about how to build your own computer keyboard, and he knew everything about every little piece, <laughs> of in different, way. and and it was like I, it went over my head, but it was clearly he yeah. had. Ability to be passionate about something that's all that really mattered yeah and on the sales side add on
2: that we do something slightly differently where we just give like a light preparation of you know looker knowledge and links for them to go research and then the capstone of their interview day is pitching looker to us or kind of like a mock intro meeting yep. uh, like a mock you know small startup company they'd be selling to and it, it's funny we actually literally have like Printed out roles for ourselves, like little cards. Yeah. We're so good at these cards; like we literally can just become these people. And yeah. um, it, it shows in their their preparation for that. Uh, you know how much they really researched, what their follow ups are afterward. Like, do they send a follow up email? Are they asking the right questions after? They're asking for feedback in it, so that kind of gets shed some light too. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like we're we're fortunate enough that like Looker is such a cool product and such like a fun industry. And it, like, I'm super confident we'll be able to get them to care and be passionate about Looker once they're in the door. But it's just like you said, it's like that, do they have that? Are they passionate people? Do yeah. they have the ability to feel that? Are they driven? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: I mean, I, I actually just straight up used to ask, what similar to you, I'd, I'd ask, hey, what are you passionate about? And I would just, I, and I didn't care. I, I literally didn't care what you were passionate about. I just care how you described what you were passionate about. Because yes. if you were like, oh, I really enjoy the customer journey and it, and it, you know, making sure the customer makes <laughs> the right solution, it's it's really important to me. And I, I, it, that's what you're passionate about.
2: Versus, <laughs> yeah, you're like, Shut
0: up. versus like, holy shit, Tom fucking Brady. Are you out of your mind? The dude's 42 years old. He's like, Benjamin Button the <laughs> is never going to die. I swear to God, we're going to win the Super Bowl six more times. You know what I mean? Like Like, even though yeah, football... Yeah. Has literally nothing to do with what you and I are talking about here. If you if you do that, all right. Because to your point, you know to. Um, now it's my job as a manager to, right. to get you bought yeah. in, to, to guide that. Like, you're never going to be as passionate about my business as I am. And, and I, I should never expect that from you. But I should be able to at least get you bought in to, yeah. to, 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 to transferring that passion over to something that we do, right? That's
1: ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. How, how do I get you as passionate about Looker as you are about Tom Brady? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's my job. Right. Like the passion is <laughs> within people. It's not within things. Yeah. That's what you discovered. And that's a good point. Yeah, it's cool. I love
0: it. So, so how do you how do you guys stay uh, passionate about it? Is it because you're constantly learning and you're constantly challenged? I mean, you know what what gets what keeps you after six years and now an acquisition and now all this complication stuff? Like, you know, there's a big unknown right now. I mean, I know it's not final, you know, hundred percent yet, but there's a big unknown with the with the Google acquisition. I mean, we got we got acquired by. I mean, they, Staples was twenty billion dollars when they bought us. I mean, not nearly the size of Google, but dollars pretty damn big. So we had our little $10 million company get acquired by a $20 billion company. And like there was a wild, wild west when, cause I had no fucking idea what was about to happen. So part of that was exciting. Part of that was freaking me the hell out. Right. And I didn't survive. I ended up getting my, my head cut off here. So, so w- what
2: keeps you guys driven with what you guys are doing right now? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, I think it comes down to just like a few major things. So, you know, the overriding thing is just the people that we're with, you know, again, mm-hmm. back to like the hiring also, yeah. and, and what we've built and, you know, what we keep as a high standard here. I genuinely love the people that I work with, my business partners in the New York office, back at headquarters, employees that I have, the managers that are under me, um, developing their careers and seeing them shine and grow and succeed is like, that's just extremely yeah. fulfilling. Um, but in addition to that, you know, my current manager and mentor He's an executive with lots of experience and he's me, developing me to be a better leader myself. So I'm still learning and that, that learning with that fulfillment of developing people keeps me engaged and keeps me excited. And of course I wouldn't be lying, you know, we're in sales. So crushing numbers over and over doesn't get boring.
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but exactly. it wouldn't be,
2: yeah, but that wouldn't be important if it wasn't for those other two things. And so when I see us going into Google, super excited, it's going to help us accelerate our mission uh, moving forward. And yes, there's going to be some crazy stuff that goes on. Any integration is going to be tricky, but we're going to be steering the ship that we've been on with the people that have been on it, all psyched going in. And, and I'm, I'm really optimistic.
1: Yeah. It's, it definitely is a, cont- a contagious thing. Like if you surround yourself by passionate people, you, you, you know, it grows on you. Yeah. And so that's, that is super important. Um, I, I'd say, I mean, for me personally, it's, it's uh, like, I, I like to build, Things I like to solve problems. I like to create like new things. The second it turns into like maintenance, you know, maintenance mode and keeping the wheels in motion, mm-hmm. that's when I start like updating my resume. And, and, that's, and, and that's the thing that just hasn't happened, and I and I don't anticipate happening. You know, with this even moving into Google, there's just there's so much green field ahead of us, so much space for us to go fill that you know it you know, we stay in that build mode as we, as we move into, um, as even as we move into the Google mode. Yeah. Love it. So, so
0: let's talk now about your, your guys' relationship sales and engineering. Cause I'm always fascinated about that relationship in organizations because I remember when I was selling outsourced IT services, again, I was, I was one sales guy within 50 engineers and especially in early days, I literally had no fucking idea what I was doing. Like I, I I was two of my buddies started the company. I joined, I was like, yep, let's do this, fun. And, and it was now we were doing outsourced IT support for the SMB market. And I'm selling servers, workstations, firewalls, backup, antivirus, all that stuff that I knew nothing about. So I would bring sales engineers with me And really ultimately be pretty damn lazy because, because I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, I pretty much set up the call and I'd be like, so uh, thanks so much for coming in today. Anyways, Dylan, you know, and I would let Dylan talk for like, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And then I'd come back at the end and be like, all right, great. Thanks so much for that. I'm going to put together a proposal and I'm going to, and then if the client had a, a question, anything anything technically related, I'd be like, oh, Dylan, Dylan, no problem, Dylan, here's a cell phone, call him at home. I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, over the years, I started to realize how valuable, you know, the engineering time was, and how to respect it a lot more. But how have you guys developed, the like, as you've grown, right? How has the relationship of engineering and sales changed? And what are some of the things you've done to
2: work together uh, more effectively than being a lazy ass salesman right, that yeah, just yeah. abuses engineering? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. So I um, think, <laughs> good points you make. I mean, one thing that I'll, you know, say just philosophically that we has always been our compass with these things, um, A and S C relationships working together. I think I, I, I steal this analogy from our, uh, CRO who used to be my boss, Lambert is just like sales reps are mini CEOs, right? Many executives running their own business in their territory with their own, you know, revenue targets to hit, uh, their sales engineers are somewhat like their CTOs. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, co-founders of that firm or, or they're co-leaders of it and they make decisions together. And yes, there has to be a quarterback in certain situations and, you know, CEOs often plays that part, but no good CEO would ever make any big decisions preparation-wise, follow-up-wise, you know, executing on this or that um, without having their CTOs back, looping them in, getting feedback, ensuring that they're, you know, making good use of each other's time just cooperation and communication tightly, building good bonds and relationships and just driving their business together, knowing their individual skills and where they add the value in the right, right areas of their deals. So that, that's been like kind of a cornerstone philosophy that we've had and all of the little, you know, mini processes and workflows and yeah. uh,
1: things we do together kind of branch off from that cornerstone. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, th- that's that's the thing. Like, we tell everyone on day one, like this will make an, or break your success is your ability to build a really good relationship. And and everyone works a little bit differently, so it's not it's not that easy of a task. I'd say w- one thing that we we did probably later than we we should have is we really started to blur the line between you know an AE and an SE in terms of oh you're the technical person and you're the salesperson and we tried to really um, you know, for the sales engineers emphasize and, and we, so all the sales engineers join all the sales trainings basically. Uh And they go through that process and we have our own way of like, you know, tracking sales stages and, and different pieces like that, that really makes you think about, okay, well I can build this really cool thing and it's going to blow their minds, which is great. But what's the business implication of this? How is this affecting, our ability to, mm-hmm. you know, bring them in as a new customer and 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 pieces like that, while while staying really that trusted advisor and really um, not losing that piece of it, but also understanding like, you know, hey, the you know we're we're here for a reason and and not losing sight of that. So. Because
0: that, that to me, there's a fine line, right? Because I, I, I love the blurred line, but there does need to be a line. Because one, what I recognized was I had a couple of engineers on my staff, specifically this kid, Dylan. Um, he was my CTO. We were both 26, five. Um, so But what happened was he kind of caught the sales bug. Like he, he, like I would bring him out in these meetings and he would, and and the funny thing was, is he would see the easiest part of the sale. I, I vividly remember after I got, after I got fired. Okay. He reached out to me after I got fired from Staples, he reached out to me. He goes, you know what, John? he's like, I think I want to be, he's like, he was a CTO. He's like, I think I want to be a sales engineer because I think I've reached, reached my peak as a CTO. I think I want to branch. I think I'd be a really good sales engineer. And I was like, fucking Dylan, I think you'd be great at sales engineering. I mean, you have a personality, you can engage with a client, you know, they any, and he goes like this and he said, yeah, because I think if I just had a bunch of like people set me up on meetings and then do the follow up from them, I think I'd be great. And I'm like, fucking Dylan, like that's why sales reps get paid to do like, that's why sales reps get to paid as much as we do is because all the bullshit that it took to get that fucking meeting and then all the bullshit that we have to do afterwards, right? You see the best part of the whole fucking process. It's like the client's like, Oh, this is great. And that's mad. It's a perfect fit and everybody's happy. So, so, but, but so he got this sales bug when I was with him and what would happen was he started to sell. So he started to pitch the product and you could literally watch the customer lose, he would lose credibility in the customer's face because he would start. And I, and I had to have a very direct conversation with him. I said, "And Dylan, you're an engineer. You have to stay in that world because other, they don't trust me. I'm a sales rep. They trust 50% of the shit that's coming out my mouth. Okay. Yeah. You're here. You're the trusted advisor. They, yeah. they believe you because you're going to be the one who has to implement what I fucking say. So
2: yeah, please
1: right. stop selling. So how do you, how do you find that line? it's it is super important like and Mm -hmm. and it starts there's a difference between understanding the sales process and and selling the fact the second you find yourself actively selling if they can tell that that's what you're you know you're actually selling Mm -hmm. yeah you immediately lose credibility and and um that's such an important piece that's like such a big part of the value and one of the things that we (laughs) which which you know um you know, uh, maybe the sales reps don't always love is the importance of saying no, right? right. That's what really what builds you the credibility is because then your yeses become really meaningful. Yeah. You know, if you ever find a sales engineer, you know, on the other end of the phone call, just saying yes to everything mm-hmm. you say, you start to really question like, all right, they're just, they're just saying yes. Yeah. But if you say, no, we don't do this and this is why, but here's all the other, you know, there's a way to say no in a good way, but, but, yeah, if you're just if you're just a yes person, oh yeah, 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 we'll we'll tell we'll tell our product team to go build that for you. Like, no, you should really start to question that. So, yeah, um, that that's a really big piece of it. It's like your your job isn't necessarily just to make them feel good entirely on the call just by saying yes to everything, but it's to build that credibility so that they actually understand when you're when you're saying things that they believe you.
2: Yeah, and like just being really consultative overall. I mean, ideally, the sales rep can build that like trustworthy. Uh, close relationship with the prospect in addition to the sales engineer. Right. I mean, really, that's kind of what you want to be building, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so that you're just empathizing with them, leading through the sales cycle, being that consultative style, you know, challenge your sales rep. Uh, but to your point, you know, John, there's going to be people out there that just purely based on your title just don't trust you. <laughs> yeah. And you can, you know, your emotional intelligence, if you're a good sales rep, We'll will figure that out pretty quick. Like oh, every time I ask this person any interesting question, it's like immediately cut off. We want to go to something else? Want something else? So, so then then we, you know if and when that happens, like to Talal's to point, you, your, your solutions engineer, your sales engineer has to be that you know tight glue of trustworthiness with the champion. And you know there's even certain points where like AEs and SEs will discuss this about their deals. Like hey, this is a situation where the champion, great as he or she is, just doesn't trust me at all. So. Can you shoot them a one-on-one email and just ask them about this because it'll help yeah. them with their evaluation, but I don't think they're going to tell me the information, yeah. even though it will. And then, and then they'll play off each other. Like yeah. that. And that gets back to right tight communication with each other, knowing what roles to play, knowing where that line's drawn. It's all super key. So you said
0: earlier that you have some you know it, it kind of varies with the relationships and such, but are there some kind of foundational things that you have in place as far as you know documentation or agendas or you know uh, summary stuff that 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 helps uh, game plan for a meeting and then and then navigate that sales process as a team?
2: yeah, so we had this uh, doc that was put together like ESE workflow doc that you know a while ago where it just outlined it, it basically it was an initial. Guideline and framework for new AESE pairs cool. uh, to review together and say, okay, hey, here's that kind of the pipeline building, the pre intro meeting, the intro meeting, the the pre demo, the the post demo, you know, the the pre trial scoping, the mid trial, the you know, negotiation, and and then some details within there of who does what, when highlighted, so that they kind of know just a baseline of what to kind of build from. Yeah. But then they can, those pairs can always kind of discuss it as a group and then embellish. Embellish in their own ways, right? Giving them autonomy to be their own team and know where each other's strengths are, know where they can help each other. I don't
1: know if have yeah. else that, that I think that's that's one of the things that evolved over the years. Where it started off as like, "Hey, go do it this way." A, you should do this. S, you should do this. And then it turned into more of like a almost like a questionnaire guideline of like these are the things you're going to have to be able to do. These are the things you think about. You should you should have a process for how you do these, but you 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 should go come up with it yourself because. There isn't a one size fits all. There's AEs that are just more technically or consultative oriented. There's some mm-hmm. that are more relationship oriented, and like both can be really, really great great AEs. It just you know, it would work differently in in the scenarios. Yeah. yeah. So with that, um,
0: what are some of the I guess the learning lessons over the years for you, like working together as a group, and and some of the things that you probably you, you could have done better. Uh, and some of the things that really worked through this to, to get you, first of all, both of you to where you are in your career as far as leading these teams, but also to get looker where it is to the point where it's gotten this evaluation and gotten acquired by Google. What were what would some of the say like if 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 somebody who is Looker uh four years ago? You know what I mean? Say say say, say there's a a company that was Looker about four or five years ago and was looking at you guys saying, what do, what do I not know? Like, what should I not do? What should I do? What what should I be paying attention to? What would some of those
2: things be? Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. I mean, there's so much like individual learnings we each have developed our own careers, but like looker overall. Um, one thing that I noticed that we did uh, was, and this just kind of came down, you know, from our, our, our CRO top down all the way was an emphasis on deals and bookings and driving the business through sales. And, you know, that came down from like our executive culture all the way through everybody. We could bring in our product, you know, BB product on a call. Our CEO could help out. Our board would get looped into deals to help out. Like it was always about making the number and driving deals. And it, there was always an accept, you know, it was always okay to, you know, if you really had to drop the ball on a meeting or not show up or do this or that, if it's required to like get on a call for a deal or do something. And so that was like a huge emphasis. I think, that, that being a leading philosophy led us to be so successful on that metric so many quarters in a row for so many years. It led us up to where we kind of are um, you know, uh, at going into Google Now. Um, now, that being said, your philosophy that you choose steering your company uh, year by year is going to have... There's trade-offs. You can't do everything perfect. You can't be perfect at executing on revenue and bookings. You can't be perfect at operational like processes and details can be perfect at this or this or that. So I think with us, you know, something that I observed and that comes, that stems from everything down to like, you know, the budgeting a headcount for this org versus that org, or, you know, spending more heads and brainstorming and thought process on this area of the business versus that area of the business. And so, you know, I think we built up some operational debt because of it, because you're just so focused on the goal, number, number, number. And we are kind of always growing as fast as we did just cramming so many new processes and frameworks to scale the org, to create rules and engagement, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think we honestly did a pretty good job of it overall, but it's it, that was a bit of the exhaustive effect is growing so fast as we did. Uh, it something that got kind of chaotic.
0: So just real quick, uh, Frank, your CEO is Frank, right? Yeah. Um, I, I Pardon my ignorance here. It's, does he have a tech background or does he have a, a business sales background?
2: Nick, actually. So he's at Green Plum for a while and he was in alliances really high up there as executive. So he's got the business side and the technical side, which is just huge for us, right? Because he, he understands both sides of the business, not just one or the yeah. other. And I think he'd actually be at quite risk if he had an executive team that was really way on one side versus another versus something in the middle. Yeah.
0: The, the companies
2: that I that I see
0: who are most successful are our leaders that that and obviously i'm biased from a sales standpoint but have that sales driven mentality where look at the end of the day if sales doesn't happen not none of this works so so you know i've seen engineering driven companies with that almost treat sales as like a necessary evil it's like, oh fuck, we got to hire a bunch of sales reps to sell this shit crap, and they just kind of put them over here, and they're like, yeah, good luck. And those those companies, unless their product is off the charts, you know, like a Slack or a Google or something like that, like I see those companies struggle when they treat sales as a second class citizen. Yeah,
2: probably.
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, totally. And it, but but I'd say there's there's swing they're swinging the pendulum, you know, too far in the wrong direction, where you're all like you're selling smoke and mirrors, and yeah. They, one thing Zendesk. that's, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> Zendesk, excuse me. No, not Zendesk, uh, Zenefits. Zenefits, Um the, the one thing I'd say about, about Looker is like from day one, like this came all the way from, you know, Tab, who's the founder of, of Looker, who is like an obsessive culture on, around like customers and customer success and mm-hmm. value to the, to the customer. And that's what we've led with from day one. And that in itself has paid, back like in, in just insane ways you know yeah. like our every one of our customers is a Looker sales rep in their own way yeah. like it's an it's it's incredible how many it's so validating to see how many of our customers you know where someone has gone to another company the first thing they've done is i we need to bring in Looker, nice. or you know they've they've talked to their friends at other companies and oh we heard we heard about Looker. it's it's just like this Um, effect that has a huge effect. It ends up having a huge effect on business, but it's taking it from a different approach. Um, So I say that that's one thing I think Looker has just done an incredible job at is like that that pays back in itself, even though it's not, you know.
2: We we literally named our support team Department of Customer Love. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, nice. (laughs) So, you know, it sounds a little cheesy, but it it kind of, it reinforces the attitude. And like, we couldn't have done it without that. You know, it just kind of actually made me realize that having that like sales, you know, prior top priority mentality, as you said, John, really critical for like, you know, B2B tech companies to be successful. But that'll run you into a wall within a year or two if you yeah. don't also pair that with genuine empathy for customer success post sale, keeping them happy, the referencing yeah. networking that happens.
1: So yeah, I mean this is this is the this is the forcing function of being a SaaS company too. It's you know, you know, you really it's not just about the initial sale it's about the recurring you know revenue that comes from a customer which means they've got to be happy they've got to be constantly getting new value out of the product in order to actually stick around.
0: When did you guys really double down on the customer success was that right straight from the start or like how did that when when did that when did you have that
1: customer yeah. love section So that that yeah like so that that came from Lloyd like that was on day 1 you know al- almost to a point where like we would prefer to just give the product away to someone to show them because we knew we're so confident in the value and that, that we would get money from them eventually because it would become so sticky Mm -hmm. that we were, we were doing um, just, (laughs) you know, crazy things in the sales cycle. We were like, we were, when I first started, we would build out like a whole, basically like production environment for them just to set it up for them without them buying anything just to show them. And, And they would be like, Oh my God, I can't believe this thing actually works and you, know, you would yeah. become a customer. But that I think that is kind of like core to, to, the, lifeblood to the lifeblood of the lifeblood of Lookers. Exactly. Yeah, like I can
2: recall from the early days, like when I first started back into 2013, I still have this like vivid memory of Lloyd walking through the office or like, you know, 25 folks back then. He goes, He I think he heard of just somebody come up on a support chat and just have one little thing and they got really upset. And he just going, no churn, no churn, zero churn. We're never going to have any churn or whatever. <laughs> and now, obviously, like, you can't fully realize it. I was going to say that's aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> aggressive, but but his, his emphasis on, like, everybody has to be successful with our product, like, yep. and, and, and then that that kept evolving year over year. I recall, you know, Frank, our CEO, every time we had all hands, every time at a company I would meeting, so many times, almost every time at had all hands, he would re emphasize the importance of caring about our customers first, doing what's best for them. Um, above everything else. He didn't talk about all the revenue numbers we had and this and that, actually. You know, as much about I'm saying, we're a sales-led business and we prioritize deals. When it came to our culture and like when we'd have our founders and our CEO talk, that's not what we talked about. We're not hoorah, hey, we hit our numbers and goals. Yeah, sure, that's successful, that's great. But it came down to like, why are we successful? And, and it, this came actually down to remember when we would get funding rounds all the time. People were like, oh, we got all this funding. And and Frank would always say, which, I, was, which is great, is look, that's just a reflection of, you know, the, the dynamics of the, the market and the fact that we have been so serious about caring for our customers over and over and that we've reached this point of success versus like, yeah, we got a bunch of funding. Cool, we just hit another quarter or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, still, obviously we had that culture within our sales teams and that keeps it going, but it's the, it's the balance of those, I think, that were helpful.
0: Yeah, I love it.
2: So, so what's
0: next? What do you guys, I guess, what's exciting? What, what are you fired up for going into this new world of Google?
1: yeah i mean uh, there's a, there's a lot of open questions right now, um, which is part of the excitement yeah. um, you know I think from a technology vision perspective, you know the the two companies are just super aligned from a cultural perspective you know it feels like there's a lot of alignment there too and it's and it's you know I think I'm personally learning a lot about how these acquisitions work as well, which is that's kind of where where it stops when you're thinking about making you know, uh, a deal like this is okay. The company's aligned, the business is aligned, the culture's aligned. We love the people, we love the technology. And then it's like, all right, let's go figure out how we go make this thing work. And so there's, and, and that's back to like building and the excitement of all this is that's, you know, that's kind of what's next for, for us is yeah, going, let's go answer those questions. How do we go make this work? Yeah. The, the thing that I've like keeps
2: me comfortable too. I mean, obviously there's tons of unknowns, right? We're going to be integrated into Google and stuff. Um, You know, again, the alignment on the product and the vision, the culture and stuff is all there. Uh, But, you know, as far as we understand, right, Google's philosophy is, you know, again, a a multi-cloud approach to where they just want to be really within the whole cloud, uh, you know, technology industry, freely letting people use what softwares and databases and different technologies that, that makes most sense, even if it's not all in GCP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think what's exciting for us is I don't have this sense at all that, you know, we're going to be souped up and it's only going to be, you know, Google, Google, everything. And that's going to be everything we're, we're really going to be able to operate somewhat, you know, my understand and independently within the org and still be able to add all the value to all of our customers year over year. And so uh, clearly there'd be a lot of alignment and, and, and unknowns, but that's what keeps us really kind of psyched and engaged. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I always tell people,
0: that, you know, at the, at the very least, like we said, like I was talking about before, you know, just paying attention, right? Uh, you know, I don't think enough kids growing up in, in business, they don't pay attention to what happens when certain things happen within organizations and learning from that. So for future reference, right? Uh, I wish I paid a lot more attention when I was a kid when i say kid 20s right to say like hey you know those decisions that the executives put out there how did they roll out that new comp plan how did they do the integration what promises did they make and which ones did they keep right and how did it not only make me feel but also the team feel right so that as as i learned all that stuff good bad and ugly you know what i mean that i i could say okay Now, you know, maybe when it's my turn next to start my next company or go through that acquisition that, right, that I could apply all that knowledge as opposed to being uh, kind of blind to it and just going along. So it sounds like you guys have a a, a shitload of stuff in front of you to learn from, which is going to be super fun.
2: So I'm I'm excited. One of of my mentors uh, outside of Looker, I asked him, you know, just at this pivotal moment in my career, right, any advice for me? The yeah. one thing he said was, okay, one, stay with Google. <laughs> it's not a bad thing to do. It's not yeah. a bad thing to have in your resume. Yeah. And two, to your point, John, leave your ego aside. Yeah. There's going to be probably a smaller title you're going to get. There's going to be people that are you know within the reporting and bureaucracy structure. There's going to be some crazy stuff that happens and just learn from it. And to yeah. your point, like, that's really my mentality and, and that's what I'm stuck for. Cool.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're we're, you know... I definitely have to mention like we're super fortunate and both of us and like the way that we've developed our careers to have been, you know, surrounded by just really smart people, great mentors, people that have really helped like enable them people that probably put more trust in us than they should have. (laughs) Um, But yeah, super excited that they'll be moving, you know, into Google, kind of like moving into Google as a unit together. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's, there's, there's there's definitely going to be some gut punches along the way, you know, it, and and we kind of have to learn how to roll with them and and, um, and adapt, and and that's kind of what we've been doing it, it yeah. from day one anyway. So, you know, we're we're pretty well practiced at it at this point.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm curious to see, like, for me, one of the biggest, the
0: biggest, probably the biggest learning lesson I had through the acquisition was we tried to Staples bought us because and they said, hey, we want you to be you. And, and it was pretty evident after six or tw- tw- 12, months that we, we had to assimilate to the mothership. And what we kept doing was I was, I fought it like you read about. Right. So, uh, cause I, cause I remember like the first three to six months, I was super optimistic. This was new. This was interesting. But then and I'm not saying this can going to happen at Google because I think they're going to be way better at this than Staples was. They Staples really all their promises fell off, and and so I turned to very from a very positive person to a very negative person about six months in, and I started I started acting out. I vividly remember you guys you guys will crack up on this one. Remember um, uh, remember the movie 300 with Leonidas right that whole thing. <laughs> There was no joke about six months into uh, me, the acquisition of Staples, I sat in my, I sat my downstairs two o'clock in the morning on my big screen, you know, 50 inch TV with with 300 blasting and me envisioning myself as Leonidas and Staples was, uh, was right. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, fuck. And I remember being like, fuck them. I'm, and I, these words came out of my mouth. I said, I'm going to succeed despite them. Um, and as soon as I said that, I, I was like, I, I should have walked in that day, handed my resignation letter and said, I'm out. But I fought it. Cause I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And I yeah. fought it and I fought it and I, and I went real negative. And, and it was it was because I did, cause I didn't ha- I didn't think about, I was like, like, this is my company and I, I'm going to make this happen. Right. So what I told my CEO after I got fired, I said, look, You need to stand up because there was a bunch of people that were just like me. They were fighting the fact that we got acquired. And I said to him, I said, guys, I said to my CEO, I said, you need to stand up and say to everybody, look, hey, hey, everybody, here's the new world. Here's the new vision where we're going. Okay. If you're not on board with that. I understand you didn 't sign up for this you didn 't know when you hired when we hired you back whenever we were that this was going to happen so if you 're not on board with this I get it let 's figure out a transition but if you are on board let 's go make this happen and please stop complaining and he didn 't do that he still tried to play the middle ground of we were still this tiny little company, even though we were staples and it fucking fell apart so I, I guess the only thing i 'll say to you guys is. Just try to be as open with your people as possible as you go through this stuff, and 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 help them, you know, and get and give them credit. Like if they don't want to be on this train, help them figure out a transition because otherwise it's a cancer that'll eat away at the entire thing.
2: Yeah. No, that's a really good point, John. It's like look, we're both just genuinely optimistic people and pretty mm-hmm. psyched, and I'm too, man. Yeah. Yeah, something could go wrong, though, right? We could have just like crummy leadership that integrates us when we actually get in there and stuff happens, and whatnot. I don't think that'll happen, but anything it's can happen. It's never
0: one thing. I'm I'm gonna tell you this right now. It's never. It's a. It's a. It's a build of little shit that starts eating away, and that's what happened to me, right? And then and then it's kind of like I snapped. You know what I mean? And and I didn't know because like, to your point, I'm I, I think I'm a pretty positive person. I like to see myself as pretty optimistic, yeah. but it it eroded my optimism slowly enough yeah. where i turn to be pessimistic so just be conscious of that you know what i mean i like i said i've heard I, i've talked to other companies that have been acquired by google i understand you know it sounds like Google's a fantastic company just the to your point the culture that you guys have built and, and the communication and the trust you've built with
2: your employees just keep that going man oh, that's really yeah. good yeah just being really transparent and open and like understanding yeah. that it's you know it can, things might be coming up and we'll be clear with them and yeah
1: yeah, it's it, it's great advice. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about is, is you know, there's there's going to be a big void to fill, right? There's been this, you know, whatever, seven-year sprint, basically, that Looker's yeah. been on yep. facing, you know, the exit. And, and the exciting part of it is, like, if you talk to Lloyd, if you talk to some of our leadership, they're really looking at this less as, like, the end of the road and more of, like, oh, yeah. the beginning of – Okay, now we can actually go accomplish this mission that we've been out to help in yeah. the beginning, which is yeah, which is exciting. But yeah, I think to your point, like keeping keeping it together, keeping the team as excited about that mission, I think is going to be the next challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just sharing that vision, I, I
0: you know, I am. I leaders to be wide open with the vision of where things are going, whether they really know all the details or not, but just be like, Hey, this is where, this is what this, you know, this is what this, so now that the gloves are off, right. It's like, cool. What does that mean? Right. And where do I fit in that? Cause now I feel comfortable with that versus, you know, uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause even to your point, there still might be some people Thinking, oh, yeah, we got it acquired by Google because shareholders wanted to get paid out fast enough. And maybe they thought the IPO route was too risky, so they want to get their money as when they could. Mm-hmm. And okay, yeah, you could think about it in that way, or you could think about it in the, the reality, which is you know, we could have done whatever we wanted. We're so successful. We chose this path because it's allowing us to accomplish that vision, to your point, which is. You know, making like Looker that true data platform BI staple across so many companies out there that that'll benefit and add value to their businesses. So we've only scratched the surface of that pre-acquisition, and that'll just kind of help us continue down that path faster. So that, that's a good reminder that I like make sure we we remind our teams of that vision too, because it can get lost in the haze, right? Because so much chaotic stuff's going on. Just and,
0: chaos, right?
2: right? Else, yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. Stay grounded, guys. I'm 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 psyched for you guys, and
0: I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys can do now that uh now that you got some uh, some heavy backing here with uh with a a lot of upside potential. So uh, I'm looking forward to continuing the the journey with you. Hopefully, I hopefully I can do what I can to help. So
2: yeah. Well, hey, thanks for joining and training training our sales reps for this year at SKL. Didn't hurt. (laughs) <laughs> That's a fun night.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, uh, talk to me, to tell everybody where, like what you guys, you know, if they want to get in touch, if they're interested in Looker, like from a, con, you know, from a, from an employee standpoint, but also customers, like what's, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys?
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, if, you know, interested in careers here. Uh, looker.com slash careers will have all the details that you need. Um, if you're interested in a sales career on the East coast, just email me at Raphael at with an F, cool. uh, you know, anything with regard to customers too. Uh, there's, you know, demo request free trial forms on our site or whatnot. So they can usually take care of you um, from there and you'll get rooted, you know, within a, uh, within a day's notice to where you got uh, cool. to be. Yeah. To
1: yeah, that's the best place to go. Um, you know, we're we're basically, I think we've been in infinite hiring mode from day one, and so we're we're always looking to bring on uh, new talent to the team. So definitely, uh, you know, apply. Yeah, check out the thing. We're, Call out to all the sales engineers, sales managers, sales
2: yes. reps out there. <laughs> uh, Cool. Well, thanks again for
0: joining me. I appreciate it. Like I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what you guys can do. So hopefully everybody got some value out of this. And uh, like I say to everybody all the time, you know, at the end of the day, it, go out there and make somebody happy. Right. If, if you made somebody smile today, no matter how bad your day was, you had a good day. So uh, hopefully you all can uh, have a good day one of these days here soon. And uh, let's make it happen. Thank you all very much.
2: Thanks, you and take Thanks, John.